Support for Petri Dish is made possible by UT Health San Antonio, committed to transforming the health of the community through a team that tackles problems from every angle, doing everything it takes to bring each patient the best possible outcomes, from teaching tomorrow's healthcare leaders to translating research into new treatments. UT Health San Antonio strives to make lives better. Learn more at everythingittakes.org. Probably gonna regret sharing this with TikTok. I had my first Ozempic shot today. It's just about the only thing people are talking about on social media. It has been one week since I started the weight loss shots, so let's weigh myself, see if I've lost any weight. Just finished week one on Ozempic. Now it's time to take my second dose. And this is my eighth dose of Ozempic. Ozempic, semaglutide, some are calling it the Kim Kardashian weight loss drug. Ozempic-related videos have more than a billion views on TikTok alone. And if you watch some of those videos, you might become convinced that everyone is taking it. Have you heard about this Ozempic stuff? Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. But weight loss isn't what Ozempic is approved for. You probably know what it is approved for if you spend any time at all watching television. It's quite an earworm. Once weekly, Ozempic is helping many people with type 2 diabetes like James lower their blood sugar. A majority of adults who took Ozempic reached an A1C under 7 and maintained it. Here's your A1C. Oh, my A1C is under 7. Ozempic is a medication to help control blood sugar levels in type 2 diabetes that has taken off for an off-label use as a treatment for obesity. But now Ozempic is being studied for yet another potential use as a treatment for Alzheimer's disease. And that's what we're talking about this week on Petri Dish from Texas Public Radio. I'm Bonnie Petri. Dementia is devastating to the person who's experiencing it and to those who love them. This is actor Bruce Willis and his family celebrating his 68th birthday recently. Willis has frontotemporal dementia, and though this celebration was clearly a wash in love and joy, Willis's wife, Emma, also shared her grief on that day over slowly losing her husband to a disease that currently has no treatment. Treatments for dementias are few and far between, and treatments that really make a difference are even more rare. But that's not because researchers aren't looking for them. They are singularly focused on trying to figure out how to treat and even prevent these diseases that steal your humanity long before they take your life. And I recently spent some time talking to Dr. Suda Seishadri, a neurologist and the director of the Glenn Biggs Institute for Alzheimer's and Neurodegenerative Diseases at UT Health San Antonio about an international study they're helping with here in San Antonio on Ozempic, yes, the Kim Kardashian weight loss drug, 
and early Alzheimer's disease. First, Dr. Sishadri, what exactly is Ozempic? Ozempic is a trade name by Novo Nordisk for a drug called semaglutide, which is acts on GLP-1 receptors. These are receptors that alter the sensitivity of the cell they are on to insulin. And that's their main mechanism of action. Insulin is a hormone made by the pancreas, and it's a pretty important one if we want a body and brain that function. So insulin is a molecule that's very important in regulating the glucose, which is essential for the body's energy, and getting it into the right cells. If insulin is not binding with insulin receptors, and there are different types of insulin receptors, it's not able to get into the muscle cells so that we can run and you know do physical activities or into brain cells or into uh, certain types of fat cells. And what can happen in insulin resistance is even though levels of insulin are circulating insulin are high, it's as if the body has an insulin deficit and therefore you have a diabetes kind of picture. Insulin resistance, where cells aren't sensitive to the hormone and its request that they take in the sugar from our food and convert it into energy, is rampant in the United States in people of all ages and ethnicities, and it causes all kinds of problems. It manifests as an increase in body weight, a problem with certain functions like ovulation. So you can have PCOS syndrome, where there is cysts, polycystic ovaries, there can be androgenic features, there can be challenges with fertility, there can be multiple adverse consequences. Insulin resistance and increased BMI often, though not always, go hand in hand. So it's a little bit of a chicken and egg in the sense that the insulin resistance can lead to weight gain and these changes. But being overweight for other reasons, maybe because of changes in the microbiome, maybe because of how much you can exercise or what kind of healthy foods you have access to. So increased BMI can itself lead to insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is not quite type 2 diabetes because blood sugar levels, for the most part, stay in the normal range. But the two are related. So insulin resistance is a spectrum. It's like the difference between blood pressure and hypertension in a way. That's simplistic. But, you know, you can have a blood pressure that is increasing over time, and that's not good. But it has to cross a certain threshold to reach a diagnosis of hypertension. Insulin resistance can be present in people who are, perhaps that is just manifesting as some increased body mass index or as these other symptoms. But if the blood sugar is not at the levels that define a diagnosis of diabetes, we don't call it diabetes. So you could consider diabetes a sort of 
extreme systemic manifestation of insulin resistance. You can have insulin resistance that's not severe enough to be diabetes, but people with type 2 diabetes all have insulin resistance. So it makes sense that a medication like Ozempic that sensitizes stubborn GLP-1 receptors on our cells to insulin would work well as a treatment for type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. And since insulin resistance and weight gain, whether by the chicken or the egg, are linked, it makes sense that the drug would facilitate weight loss. But, Dr. Sashadri, what might its role be in the treatment of a brain disease like Alzheimer's? We know that increased weight and insulin resistance, particularly in midlife, is a risk factor for late-life cognitive decline and dementia. Go on. So we know that people with diabetes are more likely to have symptoms of cognitive decline and dementia. And there are some investigators who believe that having the insulin resistance and diabetes could have an adverse effect on things like amyloid deposition and tau increase. This has is, however, not universally accepted as the reason for the higher risk of dementia in people with diabetes. There are studies looking, autopsy studies that have said that diabetes increases the amount of vascular injury in the brain. And when you have two pathologies, when you have both Alzheimer and vascular pathology, then you're more likely to become symptomatic. So that the main Adverse effect of diabetes may be through increasing the vascular pathology. So if a person has a lot of circulating insulin with nowhere to go, like in insulin resistance or uncontrolled blood sugar, as can occur with diabetes, that can damage the small vessels in the brain. So the effect of diabetes could be directly through insulin resistance. It could be through some of the causes of diabetes, also increasing amyloid and tau deposition. And it almost certainly is through injury to the small vessels in the brain, which can increase the susceptibility to symptomatic disease. So there's definitely some kind of relationship between a person's sensitivity to insulin and the development of Alzheimer's. And it certainly seems plausible that a medication that improves insulin sensitivity might have some promise for treating related dementias. But Sashadri says investigators didn't initially set out to see if semaglutide would help in cases of cognitive impairment. They did a large study, including both a Danish database as well as available studies of semaglutide for diabetes control. One of the reasons for doing it was because some earlier diabetes medications had increased the risk of heart disease. And they wanted to see if in fact this might also do that. And conversely and happily, they found that it reduced the risk of heart disease and stroke and also seemed to improve cognitive function and reduce the risk of dementia. Of course, this was not a clinical trial. This was looking at people who had taken it and people who had not. But this was a step in uh, suggested that it may be an agent worth looking at in phase one and 
phase two. And now based on some promising results in phase one and phase two, this is a large international phase three study where nearly 2000 people will be randomized to either getting semaglutide or not. And that's where we are now, the large international phase three study called EVOKE. The study is focused on people with mild cognitive impairment and early Alzheimer's disease. This is when cognitive abilities have started to decline in noticeable and even measurable ways, but perhaps not enough to interrupt a person's daily life. This is an entry point for intervention, and researchers want to see if semaglutide might slow the disease's progression. Primarily, we are looking for a change in what we call a clinical dementia rating score, that is, how people are functioning because of their cognitive status. This is a very strong, robust, meaningful endpoint. Secondary measures would be how their cognition changes over this time, like apathy and uh, disinhibition, how that changes. You know, those are sort of main symptomatic outcomes, cognition and mood and behavior, how that changes over this two-year period. Research like this is critical, as experts like Sashadri warn of a gathering storm that's approaching with the speed and force of a Category 5 hurricane. More on that when Petri Dish continues. Support for Petri Dish is made possible by UT Health San Antonio, committed to transforming the health of the community through a team that tackles problems from every angle, doing everything it takes to bring each patient the best possible outcomes, from teaching tomorrow's healthcare leaders to translating research into new treatments. UT Health San Antonio strives to make lives better. Learn more at everythingittakes.org. Welcome back to Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petri. A few weeks ago, I moderated a panel in which internationally recognized experts in dementia from across the country sounded an alarm about a coming wave of diseases like Alzheimer's that will inundate the nation and the world in devastating ways if we don't prepare. We know that the fastest growing segment of our population is people over the age of 85. And this is the age that has a very high risk of Alzheimer's. The prevalence, as many as one in three people in this age group can have Alzheimer's, depending on how we define it. As much as 40% of even those who are apparently normal can have high levels of amyloid in the brain. So we expect that today the cost has been variously estimated at nearly $300 And when I say cost, I mean cost per year. And as this continues to increase, the hope is that at least 1% of this, like $3 a year, could be spent towards understanding, preventing, developing treatments. Because, you know, we, we can't afford not to find a way to stem this tide. Sishadri says we simply can't afford to not try harder to get in front of this pending crisis. 
Everything else becomes more expensive if you have Alzheimer's or any of the other dementias. It's been estimated that Medicare pays anywhere from three times to 10 times more for somebody with a dementia as opposed to somebody without a dementia. So I think it is an economic crisis. It is a personal crisis. And family finances are often wiped out because there are costs for things like long-term care, costs in terms of caregivers who are unable to maintain their level of employment or complete their planned education because of having to be a caregiver. So if you kind of go beyond direct costs, the cost is even greater. And even if dementias didn't represent a potential economic catastrophe for the country, the quiet, aching individual catastrophes would be more than enough reason to act now. Alzheimer's is the number one feared illness among adults over 65, partly because it's the only one of the top 10 causes of death that's increasing. Everything else is decreasing, which means we at least have some knowledge about how to reduce our risk of stroke or of heart disease, even of many types of cancers. But we do not have as much confidence in our ability to prevent Alzheimer's. And we are also very concerned about the consequences of developing Alzheimer's because it feels like a loss of personhood. It's not just something you live with. You worry about ceasing to be the person you are, ceasing to have the memories and the wisdom that you have accrued over a lifetime. I'm afraid of that. I'm actually terrified of that, aren't you? Suddenly, $3 billion a year spent on understanding, preventing, and developing treatments for Alzheimer's and other dementias sounds like a bargain. And this is particularly urgent where I am and where Dr. Sishadri is in San Antonio, Texas. An unfortunate distinction that San Antonio has is that it has more diabetes per capita than any other major city of the top 10 cities in the United States. So if we don't want to be the leader for prevalence of diabetes, but unfortunately we are. And so all the complications of diabetes are more frequent in San Antonio, whether we are talking about amputation, whether we are talking about heart attacks, or in this case, dementia related to diabetes. Why this is, we are not entirely sure. Some of this may be, um, you know, access to healthy food. It may be microbiome changes. It may be genetic propensity. There's a thrifty gene hypothesis that says people who traditionally had less food, had to survive on less food, when food becomes more plentiful, they may not increase their metabolism to the same rate. And so uh, persons with native ancestry, Hispanic ancestry, may have a higher propensity to diabetes that's genetic as well. But whatever the reason, we know that this is a special problem in San Antonio. And so this is a major preventable cause of late-life cognitive decline and dementia.
Dr. Seishadri used a word in there, though, that I found encouraging, that I kind of want to hold on to, preventable. So diabetes is a lifestyle and environmental disease. Uh, It is not entirely choice. There is, like we said, genetic propensity, but it is something that can be prevented or better controlled by a healthier diet that involves less simple carbohydrates, taking more of your food as complex carbohydrates or other fruits, vegetables, high fiber. Insulin resistance can be reduced by things like greater amount of exercise, both aerobic exercise as well as some isometric exercise to improve muscle mass. It is something that can benefit from a proper amount of sleep because lack of sleep can increase appetite, eating, and increase weight. And in fact, a propensity to weight gain and diabetes seems to be greater if we have a social network of people with the same trait. How much of this is peer influence? How much of this is underlying structural factors like your neighborhood being in a food desert? These are things still being worked out. But we know that you can control diabetes or even prevent it if it runs in your family by paying attention to some of these behaviors. Medications improve and often save lives, and we'll need as many tools as we can develop or repurpose like Ozempic in the fight against the rising tide of dementias. But even with encouraging studies like Evoke and medicines like semaglutide in the world, improving our chances against diseases like Alzheimer's is very much still on us. And so both in terms of health policy, you know, making it easier for people to exercise, making it easier for people to eat the right kind of foods, as well as in terms of individual choices for those who have a choice, there are options that can, without any medication, improve one's insulin resistance, lower one's blood sugar, lower one's weight, and we expect have benefits in preventing dementia. Thank you, Dr. Sudha Seshadri, Director of the Glenn Biggs Institute for Alzheimer's and Neurodegenerative Diseases at UT Health, San Antonio. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by TBR News Director Dan Katz, Jacob Rosati, and me. Jacob Rosati also composed all the music and created the sound design for this show. Petri Dish is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Bonnie Petri. Talk to you soon. Petri Dish is underwritten by UT Health San Antonio, and we often speak to nurses, doctors, scientists, and researchers there for expertise and insight into the subjects we cover. But neither UT Health nor any of its employees influence the stories we choose to tell or how we tell them.